Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah morning news special. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Have another wonderful episode lined up for you today. I spoke with Sean Turner, a textile artist from his studio. It was a really fascinating and interesting conversation, and Sean is such a character. It was really fun to talk with him. I wanted to give you a heads up that I had a little bit of a recording issue at the very beginning of our talk, so the interview seems to start right in the kind of middle of our conversation, because I just decided to cut that part out. It just didn't sound really that great, but I think you'll catch on quickly as Sean really gets into explaining everything that he does. Wanted to mention, as always, you can catch past episodes of Art on the Air in my corresponding Art Off the Air column, as well as all of the writing that I do for the Savannah Morning News at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. Last week, I had the opportunity to speak with Tony Hazel, and that was a really great conversation about the connection between spirituality and his artwork. And I also did a piece in the lifestyle section, sort of talking about the history of public art here in Savannah over the last 10 years and the progress that we've had towards getting more public art in Savannah and where we're at. So a little bit of an opinion piece on that one. But let's get into this week's interview. Again, this is Sean Turner starting in the middle of our conversation, live recording from his studio space, talking all about his textile artwork, the intricate details and thought that goes into creating it, and how he used Randy the reindeer to catch his husband off guard. Enjoy. Dude, really, they're imaginary creatures. The Yes, they look like birds, <laughs> but they're not real birds. You know, it's like So and I have people that have bought a lot of pieces from me. I don't remember Emily's last name. I should know it. She buys a lot of stuff. And she came back one year and she goes, oh my God, that piece I bought last year, you know, I carried around all the time with me. I talked to it all the time. And I was like, okay, people think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another couple, they're friends of Charlie's. They bought one of the big pieces out of the series. I did that first year at Slam. Kind of a mer creature. And they were all... 28 inches or so ish mm -hmm. and uh, he lives on the couch and he watches TV with him when the grandkids oh come over they pick it up and hold him and it was like great I mean you know that's fantastic but yeah so I do get stories sometimes but mostly I just get a lot of well, that's weird it, but you know it's funny too because like my son you know he has his little stuffed animals and he has a snail that he named, and we're like, what's the snail's name? This kid's too. And he's like, hmm, Nick. And he just comes <laughs> up with this, the snail's name is Nick, and then sometimes he'll be like, you know, getting ready to go to bed. And he's like, want Nick, want Nick. And like, so for him, there's a story. He's got another, like, um, it's a it's a hand-sewn sewn little fox, and the fox's name is Oatmeal. Like, he named it Oatmeal, and like, it's his little, you know, and they have stories, like, uh, why wouldn't we? Like, I mean, what's... Life is short. Like, I like that imagination. Like, Ephraim, I mean, it certainly could be way worse. Like, it's not dangerous. It's beautiful, you know? Ephraim doesn't get it. He he doesn't know why I won't sell the big reindeer that's in the, in the guest room. Well, it's my room, actually, but whatever. 
And occasionally Randy moves around the house. Unexpectedly, I just pick him up and take him places. Uh-huh. And so I... <laughs> I put him in the bathroom with his head sticking around the shower curtain one night. <laughs> 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 he walked in and he's like, what the f*** is in the bathtub? <laughs> And I'm like, that's Randy. You know, he's kind of Randy. He moves around a lot. Goes, Get the deer out of the bathtub, Sean. <laughs> and I, no, I mean, I was just melting in laughter. Tears flooding down my face. I was laughing so hard, snorting. And he's like, I don't see why you think that. This is not funny. And I'm like, well, oh, I'm that's hilarious. hilarious. But, <laughs> but people come and they say, oh, yeah, like the lady with the oomphal. She carries it around and watches TV with because she lives alone and she's been through chemotherapy twice and you know she, it's her friend yeah and she doesn't have to change the litter box or take it out for a walk when it needs to go out in bad weather so i i mean i get that association and why yeah. why people pick things up especially sort of inanimate things because if you're not able to get outside with a real pet or you know do the upkeep or you're allergic well then you know you have other things you pick up and carry around and you talk to well, I want to get a little froofy with it here because I'm so I think there's also something to be said of like an object that is handmade and unique because every one of your pieces is different. Like it's just inherent to your process. It's, you know, you're using different fabrics. You're using, you the shape is going to be slightly different even when you're making like a series, you know, they're just going to each be different. But I mentioned that, you know, like, Fabric has a story, like the textile pieces have a story and you're taking them maybe from, you know, maybe it's a found fabric or maybe it's, you know, something that you bought or whatever, but it is in your hands, you know, like you spend time with it, you're putting, you know, your own energy and soul into making the piece and then like, that's not like a, like a man-made object, like a, it's a man-made object, but it's not like a commercially made object which has no soul to it or whatever and i think that i think people pick up on that like i think people when they have like a a precious handmade object like they understand like that there is like a soul to it in a way you know like there is like it is going from you who they meet and they get have a relationship with and then they have it in their house and you know like the piece that i have up on my wall I might notice a little something this way or that way or, you know, like, oh, you know, the tassels aren't hanging just right and I'll go and I'll, <laughs> yeah, floof it a little bit or whatever. And, like, I don't do that with, like, random <laughs> store-bought stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, and I'm not really, I mean, I'm not talking to it, but, like, I do feel like my wife and I saw the piece at, at your booth at Slam. I was busy chasing my son, but she... I was like, yeah, let's get it. And she went over and she bought it from you. And like, I'm talking to you now. And so like, there's like, and I talk about this guy. I have a whole bunch. I collect a lot of local art. Like, cause I get the chance to, you know, meet a lot of people. And like, I just love art. Well, and we collect a lot too. I have so much right now that I have to take everything down about every six months and rotate because we same collected so much stuff. And I don't, I could put every single piece out, but then it would just, I, I would probably have sensory overload after a while. I don't, which is funny because if you look at all the stuff I do, but, um, and I, I've told that to other people before and they're like, well, why would you have that much stuff? 
because we're serious collectors and eventually this collection will be worth a lot of money because we collect a lot of folk artists and some local people and some are from friends of mine in art school have gone on and had pretty illustrious careers unlike mine <laughs> you know um but yeah i and the house is always changing too which makes up from crazy because i'm always redoing a chair or i sell mm -hmm. something and i bring a new piece home or this chaise I've been working on, there's a chaise on the back porch I was going to make a slip cover for and I just haven't gotten to it yet. Or I'll drag something home from the lane and he's like, what are you going to do with that? And then I'll recover it and it sells, you know, after I, and he's like, oh, <laughs> oh. But he's always asking, well, what are you going to do with that? What, what, why bother asking me anymore? I don't know why you just go do nerdy stuff at the base with military contracts and I'll, <laughs> I'll take care of this part. Of it. But yeah, the house is always, always changing. So I don't understand these people who live in a house and the furniture never moves or they never move a picture or. <laughs> well, and so what's what's cool, too, is like, you know, now I'm kind of getting a chance to really talk with you, really meet you, get background, learn the story about what you're up to and how you, you know, why you do this. And like now that piece also becomes not just the piece, but like the story of you and like. I look at it and and like there's that connection to a local artist and I have that with a lot of the art where I've most of the stuff that I own from local artists are people that I've developed like some connection with and it's not just the artwork it's also them and I think that like with the stuff that you're creating even if people aren't consciously putting that together like it is a real connection to like another human being who has made something who's put the creative energy into it in a way that you don't get with a lot of objects so it's more than just walking around with a barbie doll it's like <laughs> you know what i mean like it's you it's you in that physical form yeah i don't know i just like making weird shit. it's fun <laughs> I'm still working on this horse up here with the. I did all these feathers. Winged horse. How does your process work? Like, how do you, how do you go from stacks of fabric in this corner <laughs> you to corner. yeah to making an animal or an abstract object or whatever? Like, how does that go for you? Like, how does that develop for you i don't know what's a typical day in your life sean like if you're gonna like <laughs> well okay <laughs> well in your creative life like what um, is, how does that work like for you would you say because i think people would be curious about this like how does I this become... some days i get up and i think oh i think i'll make a bird today or oh i think we'll do spiders today or i'm going to do some weird mer creature um, then I went through a phase where everything had, um, balloons. So I made fabric balloons. And then I found the skulls. And so I thought, well, I'll do a dozen skulls. And they sold, so I did some more. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I only have one big one left. It's in the house. It's mine, because it has way too much handwork in it to sell out. But then I did, you know, like these little ones. And um, these heads that I call chucks, like the ones that are up there too. Mm -hmm. I was looking at face jugs at um, the estate sale place, and I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could do that in fabric. So I came home and started puttering around with that and made my own. 
and somebody brought me some broken mannequin forms. So that's how these started. Those are, oh, that's just amazing. The bird woman up there, she's really cool. And then this guy with the deer head over here. It's insane. That's just um, wonderful. I love those pieces. I mean, those I, I like those a lot, but they're also very expensive because there's a lot of time in of them. Of course, yeah. And they're not something people buy every day or once a year because they're a little weird for the average house. I feel they should be in a museum, honestly. Well, that one showed at the Telfair with one of um, the fundraisers for the museum. Nice. Museum show. And it's got, it's, he's really cool. Who's that artist who makes the sound suits? He had the show at... Oh, uh, Nick... Um, no, Nick Cage. Yeah. Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Yeah, Nick Cave. He's I mean, been here a couple of times, you know that? He comes into SCAD quite a bit. He's got several pieces in the SCAD collection. I don't think he was a SCAD graduate. No, he's not. But he has been here at least three times, I think, because he's done a couple different performances here. I was at a couple. When we first started dating, we went to every art opening, every event there was. And, of course, now there's not really that much. But when we first started, there yeah. was stuff every weekend, and we went out and did things and we actually that's when i saw one of his live performances was that i think he's brilliant i mean i think they're those are incredible pieces and this just made me think of that i mean i think it would be cool to see like in a museum a whole bunch of these things because gosh they're imposing i mean like especially given i mean now you've kind of set it in a way that it is how it would stand and the head does extend above our where our normal visual area was, would be so when Sue Ruby displayed it for the Telfair ball, I think it was, it was on a pedestal that was about that high. Oh. So you were really looking up at it. But it was great because then you could walk around and see all the yeah, all this um, detail stuff. 600 bucks is not that expensive for that, to be honest with you. <laughs> it should probably be a lot more. I know. But, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, that's a pretty and good eventually price. Eventually, he's probably going to go land in my bathroom so i'm gonna have my bathroom remodeled a little bit oh i thought you were gonna try to scare your husband again no. he wasn't scared he was just annoyed <laughs> he's like why is this the bathtub this is not where this goes and like but okay come on randy i walked around i had him underneath my arm one afternoon because i was trying to find places to take photos of him when i first got him finished so i was walking up and down the block because i wanted to stand him like in shrubbery or greenery uh -huh. and take photos of it. And I'm, there are people like, what is going on with this Because, you know, I'm carrying this big deer. At one point, he's over my shoulder, you know. And I was like, oh, my God, people. There was a post a while back. Somebody's like, yeah, just to keep the neighbors away, I run the vacuum cleaner over the driveway once in a while. And I was like, Shit, I just carry weird animals on my shoulder. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure everybody around here thinks I'm the weirdest person on the block. So. Oh, that is so funny. And so let me ask you, what would you, how would you characterizes artwork i mean like what if you were to term it something what would you term your work i mean it's kind of outsider art but i mean like beyond that i tend to do it more as fiber or fabric collage or fabric sculpture which it's hard when you work in fabric and i know this sounds funny but especially a guy who works in fabric it's hard not to just be chunked in with the church basement craft mm -hmm. crowd and 
I think sometimes when people see this stuff and they're like, oh, my Auntie Sue could do that or my Mima does that. And I'm always like rolling my eyes. I'm like, well, they don't do this because they probably have to buy a pattern from McCall's or Butterick or, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of the pieces I actually make all the forms for and then sew all the stuff over them. And then sometimes I buy forms and cover them. But like um, all these little birds and stuff, I've I've made all the body pieces and these crows up here. I've made all the underform. That's crazy. I'm fascinated by the um, self-supporting structures of those smaller pieces too. Like I mean, the rabbits, you know, all these. She's got a couple of the bigger ones that roots up right now. But I built, or built, I made all the underform and then came back and re-covered all of it. But um, now the dachshund. That dog was a form I found and I covered. But for the most part, when people are like, oh, I could do that. And I'm like, well, okay, well, you go home and cut the form out, you know. Yeah. Figure out where how to make it stand or sit or. And, you know, like the thing with the birds that I love the most is just because it's hard to get them to balance. So that's the that's the tricky part about them is getting them to actually stand on two little feet, etc. And then I went through a phase. I, when she had the shop in the design district. I was doing nests. So these are all Oh my God, thread. beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. And it's funny. I would sell... Now, this is all done on machine with a, a free-floating sewing technique. But you build it over a, a fiber. It's a cornstarch-based fiber paper. And uh, so when you're done... It was originally developed for um, embroidery work, Mm -hmm. Uh, like monogram work and stuff like that. Because then when you're done, you get it wet and the paper dissolves out. So all you're left with is just just the thread. So I got to playing with that. And so... It's gorgeous. I mean, it's just gorgeous. I love them. I always thought they were really cool. They're all under glass. They all have little sticks and stuff in them. That one's got feathers. And I put some in over at Merchant's. Nope, no, not a not a one taker over there. When she had them at Roots Up, I would sell two or three of these every single month. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing I was, I, you know, location think... is such a weird location applies to art sales. I mean, it just of course it's so weird sometimes when things sell. I'm like, hmm, that sat there for two years and nobody. I actually went over and dusted it off last week. You know, I mean, it just well, it. I think that there's a huge educational component to your work that people. I think that a lot of casual viewers aren't really going to grasp the time necessary to put into like creating these things. I mean, I think that that's, it's, and I think that people also have come to think of textile work as being cheap, you know, because we farmed out so much of that stuff. Well, and people don't buy, and I'm, I'm really, I mean, I just, I've been working on this for months and I finally got it, decided to get it wearable yesterday. I was in a mood to get a lot of stuff finished before my surgery on Wednesday. Uh-huh. So the chair in the living room I finished, I was working on this, and I had something else. And I was laughing to myself because people think that I buy all this fabric from thrift shops or that it's all old, used fabric. I don't. This is all new, extremely high-end upholstery designer, interior design fabric. So when people are like, oh, I could go home and make that, I'm like, well, if you had to buy this fabric, you would spend about $1,000. Right. Because that's how much this stuff is. And people laugh at me when I'm like, yeah, that that little piece there, 
that stuff is $500 a yard. Yeah. The velvet I have on the that cane um, love seat in the living room, that's Italian velvet. It's from a factory or a company that has been making that velvet on the same looms for 800 years. Yeah, it's a thousand dollars a yard. That's so crazy, you know. And it's that's like that educational component so, is so important, but it's also hard to stand in front of like each person that walks up. So you're kind of relying on people to kind of know to you know to get it like right off the bat. So those people that are saying, "Oh, I, I could do this or whatever," they don't. They're not grasping that. They you know. But at the same time, there's a whole slew of ladies that follow me. My, my, I think my biggest fan base are ladies at lunch crowd, which I have no problem with because they like to buy. But a lot of them know the fabric that I'm using or a lot of them do embroidery work. Uh, there's a couple of quilt ladies here in town who are like, you don't charge nearly enough for what you're doing. And I'm like, well, you know, but sometimes you just want things to sell. You don't want to sit on it for 10 years before you sell a piece. Or... Right. I'm like, yeah, but you know, I work pretty quickly. So, and unlike them, I'm not, the most of that I buy is thread and polyfill, which is the filling I use in the, mm-hmm. in the forms that I make. So for the most part, I don't, overall, my overhead is really low because I'm not buying fabric. I mean, you can see that rack is full. Yeah, and you're <laughs> this, also using this, every little piece. This rack <laughs> is full. This hanging rod is full. There's two more big crates underneath there all these sample books there's big piles of them everywhere it takes about one whole sample book to make a bird or to do the horses the small ones anyway so i go through quite a bit <laughs> yeah i mean wow it's, that's just fascinating you know so i actually used to work at a handmade bookmaking company called um called cypress and back when i was living in la before i moved here i lived in la for eight years and yeah we are, that's a big change in pace. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that was on purpose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, we used the books and their display boxes and such were ma- they were covered in in silks. Like so, we used you know imported silk and and um, and like when we made the books, we used like Italian handmade book blocks and all this stuff. And so people would be like, "That's this much just right off the bat," and we'd be like, "Yep, yeah." And you know what I mean? Like, and that's like the minimum that we can charge on this because it's just the fabric cost all this amount. And, and we didn't even have the advantage of, you know, using the smallest pieces. Like we had to, like, there was waste because of what, what we were making. You needed to have like a certain amount of fabric that you, I took bookmaking for a couple of semesters. I really liked it. I loved it. I loved doing that job, but it was time to move. To, to back to the east coast i'm from the east coast and... well, that's how i felt when i left catering and restaurant work it's like especially catering because it's just so much work and people are such <laughs> about every single thing they possibly can be well you're in charge of your own destiny now with this stuff which is really cool yeah now, and... I, now I don't have a boss and i don't have to count forks or glasses i really appreciate you chatting with me i mean this i've been a fan of your work for a long time i first saw it it wasn't really on my radar until right when the pandemic hit and leslie decided to do the online like sale website when so when she first did that that was the first time i saw your work 
really kind of came into my consciousness. Then I went over to, I met you briefly when I, when Merchants on B first opened up and Donna, she gave me a tour around and you were in the space. So I talked to you briefly and I wanted to support that place. I mean, I live right there, but also like, it's very much a locals place because it's not, it's not downtown. So like, it's not a tourist attraction. Um, well, Sean, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for, for chatting with me. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.